Hello and welcome to another Not Chili podcast. Today, Josh and I talk about movie film scores. We kind of just, uh, it's a bit ranty this one, which is okay. I don't mind a bit of a rant. And we kind of just dive into what we feel about them and scores in particular that have moved us and why they've moved us and things that like, even scores that we didn't really like and things that we didn't really appreciate inside film scores and some specific details, some not, some some composers that we really enjoyed. Yeah, it was just a good long chat about it. So sit back and relax and hopefully you're having a great day and, and you enjoy this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. All right. Well, are you making dinosaur noises or burp noises? Oh, that's a good one. That sounded pretty good to my ears. All right. Now, shut up, because we're not talking about sound effects. That'll be a later podcast. Oh, sorry. We're talking about musical stuff. Musicals. Musicals. No, we're talking about soundtracks. Oh. Not from... Scores. Well, scores, yeah. Not specifically from movies, but just in... Because you chose an outlier. What do you mean an outlier? You know, one... I don't know. You're just saying shit at this point. No, I meant when we were like looking through tracks before. It's like that was. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I ruined it for both of us. That's me. Good old Piat. Um, yeah. So I guess like I just want to talk more about why I I personally love musical scores from films and for games and stuff like that, opposed to listening to, you know, the the old works of Beethoven, which I do actually like to a certain degree. Yeah, I think uh, I do as well, actually. I'll occasionally listen to that stuff, but I'm no, you know... Connoisseur. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a connoisseur of that. And, and I think that's sort of the interesting thing about um, the difference between that classical music and uh, the classical music, you know, that you find in a score or any music that you find in a score um, is really that you have that connection with the source material. For, for for me, by the way, I know that there's that maybe there's like weird people out there that go, yeah, I've never seen Star Wars, but I listen to. Yeah, I the think New there's Hope. more to it though. I will say because I kind of agree with you because I do in the same way that I listen to a lot of pop music that from films, I tend to start liking pop music from from movies that I've watched, and I'm like, oh my god, that was no, I'm the same. Movie. It's just a different way of accessing accessing uh, music. But I will say, on top of that, to cut you off, that I actually enjoy. I like, there's plenty of scores I listen to but I've never seen the movie before. And that's not... Um, really? Yeah. Like what? Oh, come on. Brain. I, I would have to like siphon through a lot of stuff. Like the Thin Red Line. Oh, you've um, never seen the Thin Red Line? I think I might have a long time ago or not. I don't remember the film in that. That's a great soundtrack. I love like uh, uh, Tech M. I can't remember the rest of that one, but it's that's a really good one. Done by a tribe. Uh, not a tribe. A... Um, uh, choir. That's the word I'm thinking. Of. <laughs> a tribe uh, of people. Yeah, done by done by a choir, a traditional mm-hmm. choir. Um, I'm trying to remember where. I think it was Malaysia, but I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, it, uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, so the, I I can't. There's there's definitely other examples to that that I but I certainly have listened to a plenty of scores which I'm just like, I would love to see the movie because the score sounded so good, and there is there's a very strong intention in scores that you don't get in orchestra like just like classical music in general you do sometimes uh but i think that like that's in the eye of the beholder right like i think that like a classical music someone who really knows what they're talking about with classical music would i argue the strongly difference disagree. yeah I, yeah I, I i don't know because they i mean they did tell stories with those right like when you when you listen to um uh, when you listen to uh, this is like really like newbie stuff, but like the eighteen twelve overture, it's like you know it's got the cannons and stuff in there because it's talking about the war of eighteen twelve and like that. That's sort of the yeah, the, but there's the very different emotional intent behind orchestral scores like that and a film score when in the same well, way it's married to something. That's the difference. Yeah, and that's right. But that marriage to something without the visual material still causes a change in the tone of the way the music is performed. There's a lot more subtlety to film scores and game scores that doesn't always appear in in classical pieces, in my opinion. So you can express a general feeling and a general mood 
um, and it can tell a general story in a big orchestral theme, like, sorry, not a theme, but an orchestral song. Um, but it changes when you, uh, when you have it in a film, there could be just a slight moment within a scene that changes the way that the, the, the music performs or, or inflects in a particular way to turn and convey a particular moment. And that, without even seeing the source material, has an effect on you musically, I think. Well, me, musically. Um, I, d I, d I don't really see how it would have any different effect to most classical music. Like, a lot of classical music, um, again, I'm just a total noob at it, but like Moonlight Sonata or something I was like literally going to say has that. has like a lot of subtleties and things in it that it is clearly directing you towards a certain feeling. The whole movement, by the way, I'm not talking about the just the famous parts of it, but like um, I, th I think that the thing about film is just that it is in uh, scores is that they are inextricably tied to the film. So I think that you can get an idea that certain specific things are happening if you've never seen the film. I don't think that you can have a true appreciation of what that is. Um, it's tied. It's they watch the film. They time it out. They very specifically write the music to the image and the sound and everything that's happening on the screen. Um, it is tied to that. And I, I don't think that I don't think that someone watching something without knowing what's happening in the film can really have a one hundred percent appreciation of what they can have an interpretation of it, mm -hmm. but they don't really know what the meaning of that music is. Um, unless they've seen the film, because it has a very specific uh, sort of thing, um, particularly when heavy themes are involved, heavy themes, I mean, in terms of, like, very core structured themes, like John Williams's music, you know, he builds everything. This character has this theme and this character yeah. has this theme and that. In his bigger stuff, in smaller works, he doesn't have as much of that sort of, like, theme, character-themed-based stuff, like in standalone films, uh, it's not as prevalent. Um... But yeah, I think I think that scores, if they stand alone when you listen to them, I think that it's it's always got that strength. for For me, though, it's it's almost exclusively because I've uh, seen the film and that's my attachment to it. I don't. I I would actually go so far as to say I find them a little bit frustrating if I haven't seen the film because really, yeah, because I like what are they talking about. I, I feel like it's a book that I'm uh, like uh, two pages out of a book. The, obviously, you get more out of watching a movie and listening to the score together rather than separating those two things. Obviously, we are totally noobs when it comes to classical music and we and the stories that line that layer behind them and and the kind of subtleties that exist in that world. But. You, I still believe you can enjoy film scores without the film. No, no, no. To a so, great level. So you can enjoy a film score without the film. I, I agree with that. I just, I don't... You can't I don't, fully appreciate I, it. I, yeah, I don't think you can fully appreciate it. And on top of that, I don't know enough about, like, traditional classical music to really be able to say that... Um, doesn't have the complexity of or subtlety of, of yeah. the film score. Yeah. I do listen to like, um, did you ever watch Fantasia? <laughs> no. Yes, I was tortured through watching. Tortured? I never liked, I liked the dinosaur oh, bit. Man. I didn't like anything else. Wait, are we thinking of the same film? Fantasia? Fantasia. Disney. The Disney and there's like a section with dinosaurs and, oh, the, and, the, and the like comet comes and kills them all. I got a feeling I... Does that go for a, like eight seconds and in my head it goes for 20 minutes? <laughs> like, Well, I just remember... The one I remember the most would be um, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah, yeah. And if, I think everyone's watched that 180 times. Well, that's my point. When you're talking about like... That, that Sorcerer's Apprentice, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure that was a song before it was a Disney thing. It's like a classical song that they added footage to, if I'm not mistaken. If not... That was an awesome telling of a story with purely classical things. That was the whole idea of that project is because I, I've, like I said, I've never, certain Disney things I saw when I was very young and all, like if I saw it when I was very young and it, I didn't like it or it scared me, I, it's quite funny. I just have a negative association that I never returned to them. Like um, 
the labyrinth for me is yeah. one of those. Everyone goes on about the labyrinth, but I'm uh, I, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that movie since I was like seven, six, five, something like that. The labyrinth. Oh, we're talking about David Bowie's. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that. I so I'm just saying, like, recently. for me, Fantasia's yeah, yeah. in that same thing. There's something in Fantasia, Sleeping Beauty. That's another one. So there's something in those films that freak me out. So I can't remember mm-hmm. much about them. But with Fantasia, um. I'm 99% sure that I saw in a documentary that um, the idea was that they wanted to bring classical music to uh, the masses uh, and how could you package that in a consumable way. Um, Because that film, although very technically accomplished, is is, um, it's like we'd have to check what year it's from, but it's not Mm -hmm. like... I'll look that up it's not like a late Disney film whatsoever. So um, that was sort of the idea was was bringing bringing the classical music uh, to the masses. Was yeah. was my understanding or my memory of what the point of the project was? Fantasia, nineteen forty yeah. film, nineteen forty seven or something. No, no, nineteen forty. Oh, nineteen forty. Yeah. I thought Ameri- it was later than that. American animated film produced by Walt Disney and released by Walt Disney Productions with story direction. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Disney animated feature film that consists of eight segments to that yeah, that are pieces of classical music conducted by this dude and the Phil- Philadelphia Orchestra. Yep. That's amazing. And but yeah, obviously some of those I'm not sure if all of them were like that, but I know that some of them were actually just classics. No, classical I, songs. Mine's, I thought that they all were, but the, I don't know enough about the project. Either way. But is that a track that you like? <laughs> the Sorcerer's Apprentice is amazing because it because of how, without even looking at it, how strongly it tells a story. Um, in, well, that's, that's my opinion of it as well. And that's kind of what I loved about, like, I mean, I guess, I don't know, I'm being a jerk now because I've seen it. But I don't watch it over and over again. I just listen to it over and over again. And whenever I listen to it over and over again, I can just picture all of it in my head again. So I guess I, you know, I guess the relationship to the images is really important. So I, I can agree that you get well, it's a not just of- It's not just the images. It's everything. It's, it's everything in the package. I think that's the inseparable part. It's, it's the sound. It's the performance of the actor or, in this case, of the animation. Mm. Uh, it's the, 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 the vision. It's the color. It's... I think they all tie in. I think that's that's the thing about scores is that they relate to a very specific experience, uh, not to your in, not to a very broad, open interpretation of what you feel about it. Like, um, you know, okay. So, like, if we do look at something like Moonlight Sonata, for instance, in terms of classical, the for me that I can't separate that from a film, right? Uh, Elephant. Uh, that was. I've never watched. I've always loved Moonlight Sonata, and I've never watched. That's it, it's exquisitely used in in uh, Gus Van Sant's Elephant, um, which is a harrowing film, and mm, uh, another premise. Yeah, and it's it's very interestingly used, um, and it's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's the famous part of it and 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 it doesn't go into the quite sort of ah part of it um it's it's very much about sort of this calm normality mm-hmm. um because those sections about the calm before the storm it's it's quite it's quite interesting how they do that and and I, and, and so that's sort of like the problem or well, there's certain like um Mozart that I can't separate from Band of Brothers or things like that. And I've listened to them all in isolation and all that kind of things. And that's like, that's that music being thrown into a specific circumstance, not that music coming from that source material, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it is different. But once it's married to those things, I find them really hard to separate. But when it is purpose built, you know, it's not, oh, it'll be really great if we build the images around this music. Mm. When it's the other way around, it's it is something that I just the images and the the drama and the sound uh, they're in the DNA of the music um, because that's the that's the purpose. And one of one of the tracks that we were listening to before we started this was um, "Promontory" from uh, Lars Mohicans by uh, Trevor Jones, who's not really a 
composer I'm familiar with. Um, but that film has always stood out to me musically, but that track in particular, um, as you were just saying, uh, the, the idea that the, f the music... Uh, is at odds with what's happening on screen. And unfortunately, we're going to go into spoiler territory here. So sorry, uh, because I can't explain that concept without saying That's what's fine. happening. You can that do that scene. for me too. And um, so basically in Last of the Mohicans, uh, it's about uh, uh, these colonial, uh, colonists in uh, the Americas who are being protected by a group of Native Americans. One of them's adopted. That's Hawkeye. Um, so he's actually white, but he's been adopted by the Mohicans. Um, and they're being chased by like another, um, tribe. Uh, and some of them get kidnapped and then they rescue, you know, it's some girls, they get kidnapped and then they rescue them. And this guy gives his life to, uh, to allow that situation to happen. And then there's like a quite a long chase and, the chase culminates in this sequence that goes along this cliff face. Uh, it would be quite, it'd be akin to like, as you know, the, the, the cliff walks in the blue mountains, mm -hmm. uh, imagine like a chase sort of along there. It's a really stunning. And, um, what happens is, uh, the girls, uh, two of them are ahead of the heroes who were like trailing behind with another one of the women, I believe. Uh, but they're trailing behind from the heroes and between the girls and the heroes are the, the Indians who are the native Americans who are chasing the girls. Mm -hmm. So the girls are like a minute or two away from rescue and the music is going and it doesn't slow. It has pace the whole time. And it's just doing this at this like stage of like, there's a chase happening, there's a chase happening. And then um, either one, I, I haven't watched it in a couple of years, either one or two of the girls decide to kill themselves by jumping off the cliff. And the music doesn't pause for that. Oh, jeez. It doesn't stop in any way. That was almost comical. The chase continues and it's like your heart is pounding and, and these girls jump off and you're sort of like, give me a fucking sec here. Like what is that? And it is so amazingly done because the thing is that the chase that is happening is like, they don't know that yet. You know, they're chasing, they're trying to save these people and they're not, they're not even there. And, um, it's, it's just so brilliant how this entire thing plays out. And despite the fact that the pacing of what is happening on screen in this sequence goes quite up and down, it slows down to sort of a halt. The girls kill themselves uh, and then it comes back to them. Then there's a fight and all this stuff. And the whole time it's just going like, <laughs> like it's just continuing on this rolling thing. And it doesn't, it doesn't pause. And it's quite interesting. Like, that is a track for me where I find it very difficult to remember where things, specific things happen. But when you watch the film, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. it, it really works very well. Whereas like if you have something else that's very structured around exactly what is happening, like if you, you know, if I, if I listen to like a John Williams thing, I can go, ah, oh, now this person's done this, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's an interesting contrast, I think, um, and that, that to me is why, like when we were talking about soundtracks uh, before we started having this chat, was that's why that one really stands out to me a lot. And it's one that I've always remembered. It's not just a great piece of music. It is married to something in my head that is deeply upsetting. Uh, and yet time and life and everything else goes on despite what those girls do. Uh, the characters are, you know, roughly in the ages of somewhere between 14 and 16, and that's what, that's how they end their lives rather than from their perspective be ravaged by uh, this, uh, you know, from their perspective, sort of like wild tribe of Native Americans um, that they're terrified of, and, and it, it does it very successfully. Um, you should yeah. watch it. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I think I need to. Um, I, I can kind of bounce off that a little bit because I'm, I played to you that Harry Gregson Williams song from Metal Gear Solid Four, <laughs> which is creepy and weird, and and as you were doing so, you were telling me exactly what was happening. Yeah, no, no, no. Of course, I really was because it, it certainly added to it. But I will say that I've listened to that track a thousand times more than I've played that bit of the game, and. Yeah, of course I'm relating it to the video game because you can't not because it's way too specific and creepy. But there's so much in that track. There's so much storytelling to be told in that, in, in about the whole game itself. That for me, it like I can't help but just enjoy it as a track itself, and go into all the details about how characters are. And you know, maybe I should like back down on my listening to to soundtracks without. Um, watching the films. But. Well, that's the thing is like listening to that when I was listening to it before, I could hear that there was a story because it is so structured. Like that yeah. that track, it's like like all this stuff is happening and then it sort of calms down and then it gets into the orchestral stuff, I think, and then it kind of just suddenly stops and then a little bit extra happens and then it's kind of like dun. And I was like, Obviously, at these key moments where things very sharply change, something is happening. And that's the thing. Like, I can listen to it, but it doesn't make emotional or musical sense to me um, listening to it by itself. But th that, that, though, is a very adventurous piece of music. Oh, my God, that's it not, is. It's not, it isn't like, you know, uh, again, like... I think you can't not really consistently like reference John Williams because he's such a traditional like theme based yeah. uh, composer, and and I think that the the thing <laughs> it's just like particularly John Williams. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I I feel like you can listen to his music and you can hear that there's this beauty in it, um, and that there is something being said. But I think that it's it's not as hard in those cuts of what that track had. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I don't, I just don't think that, that, you know, the John Williams stuff can't be separated either. I think it's so, he is so second to second tied to what's happening on the screen. It's Well, just to give you, just go back to Harry Gregson Williams um, a little bit. I, I, what really fascinates me about his particular, um, skill set is that you look at the movies he's done and you go like he they, I was telling you this before he's a really he's, he seems like an incredibly flexible musician because uh, we go for that like like super electronic Metal Gear Solid 4 with some orchestral moments with screaming and then you've got Kingdom of Heaven you know, which let's not say I'm not going to say it's a great movie, but but like we go into very much more of a classical score. Then you got Bridget Jones's Diary, then you've got Shrek, then you got Man on Fire, which was that's, weird, a weird score. If you, well, if you I, listen to it, yeah, that's um the rundown with or not the rundown. It was called uh, Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, which was I, I thought was that <laughs> that's such a good movie. That's a great movie. But it was it's different. It actually sounds a little bit like Metal Gear Solid Three, by the way, but. It's very different to, you know, Narnia, which is another thing he did, I, I, I'm pretty sure. I, I wonder if on uh, on on uh, uh, Kingdom of Heaven, which was Ridley Scott, I wonder if... Uh, I don't know. I, I hated that film, so I haven't seen I it I didn't yet. like it either. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know what the score is like, but I wonder if it's like sort of a... Look, Hans is busy. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and I'd love to hear... I, I really want to hear that soundtrack now because I'm like... Was Ridley Scott letting him him be him, or or, or w was it sort of this thing of shoehorning him into a different style? I'd, I'd really love to hear that. Well, he also did The Martian. That's Not Ridley Scott, but that's like a, that's a. Do you know what? I have to watch. I've watched that so many times, and I've not paid attention to the music. Um, have I. I've seen it 10, 12 times. I don't know. I, I like that film. I, I adore that film. It it's, it really scratches uh, my space itch. Um, I like that movie, but I'm so hooked to the book. 
they're different things. They're different things, but they're just well, they're they're night and day for me. Okay, but no, but that's what I was talking about before. But was we were saying John Williams about his like amazing works in his traditional kind of way. He just understands how to make an amazing score and how to like really bring character to it, but in a very Oh, I was going to say rigid. Traditional is rigid. Uh, it's. I wouldn't say it's rigid. I'd say it's traditional because when you look at a lot of his, when you look at the entire body of his work, you do see that it's actually quite more uh, adventurous than people I find often give him credit for. I find mm-hmm. people tend to sort of, oh, yeah, John Williams. It's like Yeah, true. But he is quite talented. Yeah, it's like, okay, you go around to a room of people and you say, like, uh, tell us a theme from a film. It's like, you know, probably half of them are going to be fucking John Williams tracks, yeah. right? Like, I mean, I'm just making that up. But, like, you know, people are just deeply familiar with him. Yeah. He, he uh, you know, I was, do you know, it's really funny. Just the other day, actually, I was watching all uh, uh, the AFI in the United States. They have, um, they have, like, their YouTube channel and you can watch, like, the honorees like all the speeches and stuff Mm -hmm. and i happened to watch like most of the ones from uh when john williams was given uh, a lifetime achievement award and it was really interesting to see what people were saying about his work and and why he is so successful and you know for george lucas it was like they were in the late 70s everything was sort of synthy and funky and all that kind of stuff and he's like no 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 i want it to sound like uh you know the 19 30s, 1940s. Yeah. It's like, uh, okay. And that's, uh, you know, what, what, what they did there. And it's interesting that that sort of, that, that entry into that type of music making set the tone for what John Williams could do for the rest of his career. And, uh, you know, at the time that he was honoured, he'd uh, collaborated 27 times with Spielberg. Jeez. And it's interesting because... When you listen to those films, uh, first of all, you should be struck by where the music is absent. Mm -hmm. Uh, The same goes for in Star Wars. One of the things I find really interesting in Star Wars Episode 3 is like there's this big stretch at the start of the film where if you really pay attention to the sound design and what's happening in it, there's like a 10-minute period or so maybe it's more but i think it's about 10 minutes where there's no music right um and it's sort of like where r2d2 like jumps out of the thing and sets oil on fire and burns these droids and does and all this sort of like stuff that you'd expect like a like silly music to be happening and none of that is happening and you're sort of like going why and it's so interesting that he does that. If you look through his films, he has this consistent thing of going, no, no, no turn the music off because I'm going to come in at this point. And this point is, uh, you know, when suddenly the action starts and it's like a... Like you get you get into the... You mm-hmm. know, I'm just making that music up. Yeah, yeah. But, but like he just snaps in and, and it starts because there's a threat. Uh, and he jumps and he moves into it. And uh, I think that's something that was... When I watch films, you know Spielberg's films and Star Wars and and uh, Indiana Jones and stuff, like it, it's it's always really interesting to see where George Lucas chooses to uh, to not be present. Even you know mm-hmm. films films with beautiful scores like ET. Um, he's patient and he's he's patient and and he's deliberate in his music making. He, yeah, and I, you know, I've always honestly felt that he's a very, a very restrained in terms of what he will um, put music to in the film because I think that, um, yeah. So in Amistad, which is a really good Spielberg film, um, there are. I was watching it recently, and and there were some really interesting scenes in terms of what, uh, you know, if I where I wouldn't put music, you know, yeah, and that that was John Williams where I was going, oh, he's a bit bit sentimental in this scene, isn't he? And he is. He's always sentimental, but like in that particular scene, it was just very very strong. That's what I was. Um, that's what my point was. Is that when I listened to his music. Uh, like the one I played to you, I mean, obviously that's from The Force Awakens, so that's like right 
very new John Williams. He he was so almost a little bit repetitive, a little bit build up, but very subtle until he cuts the music and then you hear the theme, the not the Star Wars theme, but the hero the force, theme, the force theme. Yeah. And then that, yeah, that's right. But it's that he has very different versions of it. Yeah, and you can tell that he was waiting. He's like, hold it, hold it, slowly, and he brings it in. That just that's what warms your heart. He's really good at that. It's really interesting because, and this is sorry, spoiler territory. Um, I need to. It's really. That's it's so attached to something that happens in solo. Um, okay. That concept. So uh, this is all going to sound stupid to you, but it does work in the film. But it, sorry, it does work in terms of Star Wars canon and lore, but it just doesn't work in the film. Yep. Uh, yeah. So as you were just saying about like he he's waiting for that moment of like when am I going to bring the theme of the Force mm. in? Well, Patience. he brings it. He he brings it in at the right at the right moment because that's. Uh, when it's needed. That's when he needs to say stuff, say that, you know, oh, the force is being used, the force is present, the force is here. That's the that's the point of that music, right? Mm. And uh, it's interesting because in Solo, spoiler alert, um, basically it's revealed that someone is working for Darth Maul. Um, now, mm-hmm. this all makes sense because this is all, like, revealed in the Clone Wars, so it's actually not new information, but for moviegoers it is. Mm. And... Uh, so John Williams didn't do the music for Solo. He no. wrote a, he wrote a new theme for Han Solo, and it's awesome um, because, uh, as far as I know, there's actually no theme for Han Solo in any of the Star Wars movies. Um, so they needed to write a theme, so he wrote theme. Then someone else did the rest of the score. Now the problem is that um, John Williams is so into themes and, and the understanding and the use of them. Uh, that when other people come in and take hold of his work, I find it interesting when they borrow his notes or his themes and they use them inappropriately. So in this film, when uh, Darth Maul shows up, um, uh, there's a hint of uh, Duel of Fates from uh, the prequel trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the point? (laughs) Well... There is no duel of fate happening. Yeah, that's right. So why is that there? Because Darth Maul is there and that music played when he was in the first film. Uh, That's a music reference. That's not a theme. There is no duel of fates happening in that moment. The the times that music occurs are the duel of fates that happens in Phantom Menace when they are dueling over the the fate fate of the galaxy, essentially. They're dueling over fates. Um in the second film, where uh, Anakin is internally dueling within himself over what he's going to do with the Tusken Raiders when he finds his mother, so he's hunting for his mother, uh, and there's a few hints. It's not, and this is like this is typical Williams. He'll he'll hint at that. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it doesn't go like. Um, uh, da, 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 da. It's like in the middle of this tune that he's playing. Uh, it goes, and then it goes back to what it was mm-hmm. because he's just going, oh, he's got this sense of dueling happening in him and this is our tension for this trilogy of fate. And then in the third film, it happens when Yoda is fighting Palpatine and that music is happening at the same time as bumped together up against the Battle of Heroes, with which was the, one of the tracks that we were listening to earlier. Uh, so it's Anakin versus Obi-Wan, and that's the Battle of the Heroes. And at the same time, because it's cutting between the two scenes, um, you've got Yoda versus Palpatine, and they are having a duel of the fate of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. So Yoda goes in with the intention of, like, I'm going to fucking whip your ass, and this is going to be the end of your, like, stupid empire. It's going to have last of five minutes. And he loses, right? So it's this immense, like, duel of fates. And that's a very specific theme. What the fuck has Darth Maul got to do with the duel of fates? It's not the Darth Maul theme. Mm-hmm. And this isn't, like, I know this comes off as, like, a Star Wars nerd rant, but what I'm really talking about is the misuse of the theme. Like, it was so out of place and it was like, oh, put it in there because then people totes get the reference, yo. Like, it's <laughs> it's just lazy work. And I found that the same with... um. Jurassic World, um, 
where they just throughout the film, like about five or six times, it was like, and I was like, what? Have it, have it when we see the park, but yeah. like he uh, didn't even use that mu- use that music uh, until the very 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 end of the Lost World, right? So he only did Jurassic Park and the Lost World, but that theme is is his, right? Yeah. So he uses it when they enter the park. Yeah. And I, I, I can't think of another time he uses that in Jurassic Park. But uh, it's the park, when they're flying in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that part, but I'm saying when he did they use it, at the and then end? he uses piano notes for the same thing at the end, which is what he does at the end of The Lost World. Now, the theme of The Lost World, it's like, that's the second film. And I remember as a kid sitting there and being like, where's the music? Like, where's the music from the first movie? Um, Because that's totally what it sounded like when I was 10 years old. Yeah, we have a recording. And and I didn't understand this theme concept, right? Like, they're not in Jurassic Park. There is no Jurassic Park. They're in The Lost World. And the theme music for for The Lost World is... um, that's the theme for that film runs the whole way through uh until the very end when they sort of do the few notes that are happening like uh basically it's the jurassic park theme but just on sort of the high end of the piano as far as i recall um like kind of like that sort of thing but like they just kept dumping it everywhere in Jurassic World, and I and and I found it like so annoying because I was like, "This is not what's happening on screen. This is not. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. no relationship." Well, that's what I was saying about patience. And that's that's the, exactly that... well restraint, right? It's yeah. more restraint than it's 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 going. What is happening on screen, and do I have to like sound fuck off awesome all the time, mm. or should I do my job? That's also the Marvel effect. Like if you listen to the music, there's music bro. in there. No, 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 I'm saying that's right. There is music, right? It's that, that they were always going like, let's go super everything. Everything's important. Music, 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 music. And it doesn't, there's no. They don't say anything. There's no patience. That's right. There's no patience. There's no uh, story in the music itself. Like I remember watching a video about it and going, then basically the crux, the, the crutch, crux, the crux of the video was um, tell me. Do you remember a theme from a Oh, film? I've seen that same thing. Yeah, you well, they, But they start with other stuff first. It's yeah. like, do you know, do do Harry Potter and like these people. And then, you like, know what's funny? Yeah. I don't know Harry Potter. Like off the top. If you play that music though, I go, oh, that's Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. That's John Williams as well, yes. isn't it? Yeah. That theme is, I think. I'm the, sure yeah, I kept... think someone else did the other scores or something. Yeah, I think this the, it, it changes. I know that. But I know that he did. I'm pretty sure he did the original. I mean, yeah, of course you would have hired him. I'd have to go back and watch all those. I do want to watch them because I'm reading I, them. Because I like the latter. I like from three onwards. But the, um, yeah, so I think that, uh, getting back to music, that that idea of themes, you know, is, is I love that style of doing things where there are distinct things where you can sort of go, now it's the Force, now it's Princess Leia, Ooh. now it's, uh, now it's uh, you know, the Duel of Fates. Uh, over here it's going to be, you know, um, uh, the love between Han and Leia. Uh, and I really liked that approach segueing uh, to Howard Shaw with, like, Lord of the Rings. That, to mm. me, was at that level of that cinematic, uh, traditional experience of the epic, yeah, um, and and that was something I really enjoyed. Like we were listening before to Isengard Unleashed, and that sort of starts quite, you know, sort of what's going on, and then it's kind of like, dun dun dun. You're like, oh god, that, that's a bad guy. So like that's yeah. bad shit happening there, and then it goes into like, bum 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 ba da bum. Um, and you sort of have like the theme of the Rohirrim and then you have like heroes themes and all that kind of stuff. What it seems like you really like in these things is that you like uh, many themes in a part of a series and the way that those are integrated into the the music that goes throughout the film. I mean, tell a story. In, in that context, yeah. So, like, not not in standalone films, like, in generally anyway. I, I love to hear something adventurous or different or interesting. Um, by the way, the, sorry, just going very quickly back to Solo, um, that the, the, part, the thing that was disappointing about that use of Jewel of Fates was that the rest of the score is awesome. Yeah, okay. Like that, and that guy was very brave in some decisions of a type of music. He, he has this sort of, like, ah! like 
sort of tribalish music that happens at uh, two or three points throughout the film. And you're like, that is not Star Wars. Like, yeah, but good on you. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah, I like the like, balls in music. It, it's now it is. You know what I mean? Now yeah. it is Star Wars. He's like, we can do music like this in Star Wars, all right? Uh, and I hope they continue with that trend with those standalone films of like really experimenting because that that was fucking great music. Like, but yeah, so he's not rubbish. I, I it felt like a producer saying, "Where's that? Where's that uh, Qui Gon Jinn music?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, it felt so out of place. Um, but with it, yeah, with Howard Shaw, he does very much the same thing. But the thing I find interesting about it is you really don't at any point mistake it with. Uh, John Williams. With someone like John Williams. Yeah, I know. I remember the, the, the funny thing was you were playing that example of another track and I was like, that sounds exactly like Little Ricks. <laughs> but but no, because there was, there was a sound there that was similar. But you're right. Like it's, it, it's so, you can tell he grabs his inspiration from someone like John Williams, but he doesn't, you don't confuse the two. I've never, ever sat down and went, oh, Little Rings. Oh, yeah, John Williams did this. Never have I felt no. that. No, there's, but, there's a different the way the orchestra is used is just completely different. Yeah. And it's quite interesting because he sort of goes, um, while John Williams is often telling the story through the instruments of the orchestra, it feels more with, this is specific to Lord of the Rings, by the way, not Howard Shaw overall, but with Lord of the Rings, he sort of reaches into what are the types of sounds that this culture makes? Uh, okay, yep. and they're splitting the world up. Whereas, like, you don't really get that with Star Wars because Star Wars is a very set template of no template is a really, really um, unfair word to use. It's 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 a very sort of set idea of what the music is. It's a very set um, foundation of what you can come from in terms of the music of Star Wars because it is that big orchestra feel, yep. and that's what it feels like all the time, and. That's the beautiful thing. That's the area in which it belongs. Indiana Jones is very much the same. And a lot of John Williams's work overall does kind of fall into that category. Whereas he, he seems to use the instruments of the orchestra to very specifically tell uh, different people's stories rather than um, and using that tool set to, to tell that as opposed to necessarily going outside of that tool set and making those sounds like you know Hans Zimmer does some weird shit oh my and, god yeah I was about to talk about him because he's he's re obviously really good and very like he's a genius in his own right but he's when he's being the thing that's okay his early career you know who you're listening to mm -hmm. every, every time yeah yeah that's true uh, but then he starts to really get creative when you let him I think Gladiator, to me, was this first soundtrack of his where it was sort of like, is that him? It is. No. Yo. Like, it was a lot more adventurous and interesting. So, you know, because we'd had like uh, Armageddon, The Rock, Crimson Tide, yeah. and it was all like, dun, 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 like that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Um that's like from the rock. That's I think the Marines, the bad guys. Um, uh, you know, and then you have whatever the hell's happening in Armageddon. I can't remember any of the music from that. But if I did hear any uh, of it right you now, you know what Armageddon? That was I'm not sure if that was a collab, but that certainly was Harry Gregson Williams. Was it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought that he works with um. It's po on that. it's possible he worked with Hans oh, Zimmer, but I know that Harry Gregson Williams worked yeah, on yeah, that yeah. as well. It's interesting. Like, so, I mean, it's it's clear that that's to me that is what um, Michael Bay wanted, uh, like that sound. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it suited it too well. But then you look, obviously, at Hans Zimmer's more recent work, and especially when you listen to him in interviews. Actually, I listened to a good interview with him, which was, it was a round table with a lot of musicians, a lot of composers, and they talk about how in the modern day, working with directors, and how much they hate being given temp tracks. I've watched the same thing, yeah. Yeah, and it reminds me of like... When you listen to Hans Zimmer, which sounds like a temp track, and when you listen to Hans Zimmer, when it sounds like uh, a completely like, here, I want you to come up with a score. And his work with Nolan has been like that. It's oh, you can tell. It's, oh, yeah. it's It's like that. And that's why, like, you know, we were listening to before to uh, Hunger from um, 
Black Hawk Down, yeah. which is, for me personally, I find that to be his most exciting and interesting score. Um, it has sort of his traditional little bits in it, and then it has like stuff that you're just like, dude, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's collaborating like with artists and all that kind of stuff, which is stuff that he's continued to do since that point. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 really interested interesting to see him not in that box where it's kind of like the number of times you would sort of hear hints of things like the, you know, music from the rock, like, like you listen to that music and you sort of like, you'd listen to a later film and you go, oh, that's like almost exactly the same notes as that. Yeah. I'll have to remember, but there is like a, um, there's a, there's like a section of Crimson Tide where it's like later on it's like almost exactly the same and you're just sort of like man someone must have just said like give me that yep <laughs> I, I, and and that's the thing is like you gotta make your dollars all right I I mean it's the thing about Hans Zimmer is like when he's at his best it's just it's so interesting because he's like, you know, Dunkirk. Yeah. That's that's an audio experiment at, yep. at a scale of this, like, hugely expensive film. Mm-hmm. Uh, they build a kind of tension that is so amazingly at the cusp of unbearable. Yep. Um, not that, you know, it's not painful sound to listen to. It's no, nothing no. like that. But it's so uncomfortable to feel the same way as these boys that, want to get home this tension that they build through that film Mm -hmm. um using that technique that i don't know the name of but that endless rise um uh, of the note that is actually just sort of like stepping up and then recycling itself kind of thing yeah that's right Um, i don't remember it's like it's something to do with harmonics that you can keep it's it's actually going like so it's like but to like it's actually not going up it's, yeah. I think, going back to an earlier part of the note and then well, to I think our ears, it sounds like... They keep introducing... No, because uh, I think it's a different part. Like So, like, uh, harmonics, as far as I can remember, I hope I'm not being a complete idiot when I quote this, is that... Just cut it, it out? It's Yeah, true. It steps up in particular grades. Yeah. So if you choose a stepping stone, you can still get the rise. And then if you return it back, but use the other steps that you've skipped over it will still sound different and sound like it's rising, but it'll still be, it'll come back to where it was uh, before yeah. or something like that. And that causes that. Okay. And it doesn't ever, you know, and then, well, I mean, of course we can talk about the dark Knight with that note. Like amazing, like brilliant. Very like, clever. Like, yeah. what does this guy sound like? Can I then step towards, um, it was a Thomas, the guy who did American beauty, the, Thomas Newman. Have I got that wrong? I'm going to quickly... I have, no, I have no idea. American Beauty score. Thomas Newman. Yeah. Okay. And what a real subtle theme. Oh, sorry. Soundtrack. And the whole thing was very subtle. You know what's funny? I, my mind sort of has it at the... Like, it's so near entering my head. But I remember it sort of just being like this quite interesting juxtaposition because the main theme is sort of like has this sort of like slight upbeatedness to it although a playfulness to it um it's a it's what what it's known for is a really subtle piano you know that's Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no other... I mean, great hand movements there. Oh, yeah, thank you. Like, you know that hands move up and down pianos, not <laughs> up them. <laughs> like, yeah. No, they move up and down pianos. Shut not up, up, Josh. Uh, They're not, not <laughs> forwards. Well, um, I don't... <laughs> I, my no, it was, very, it was very... It was delightfully amusing. You understood what I meant by going forward. That's the... That's yeah, the it looked like you're doing weird sort of like jazz hands down your legs. Oh, sorry. Well, it was it, it was incredibly subtle and that was part of what made it amazing. It's not a it's not a theme that you go, "Oh my god, this is phenomenal," but you go, "This 
is the right spot. You can tell that there's user experience of a, of a composer that goes, we should bring it back, not pull it forward. And then they did, and it was awesome, and it was subtle, and it wasn't outstated, and it was weird, and it it just worked. I really enjoyed the American Beauty soundtrack. I listened to that quite a lot. Oh my god, I can't believe I forgot. What an amazing soundtrack. Fight Club. What a weird... Oh, it was um, it was not who you think. It was like uh, it was like they were called a, what was it? This they're like an electronic band or something like that, that did it, and um, oh god, the freaking music, like the like um, how do I describe it? It's like the the, Dust Brothers. That's the one, the Dust Brothers, and they had that like like weird like noises through it that were like. It was a really twisted. I don't think they're very like they did anything else other than that. And other being musicians, it is. I, I'd have to. I've never paid attention to the music in that. If I'm honest, I, I'll, I'll have to watch it again. I, lo- I love that film. It's yeah. It's it's. I I mean, I'm a huge Fincher fan. Which haha, good work. To uh, bring us to talk about Trent Reznor. Yeah, that's what I was kind of going to because these guys are musicians as well. And that's why they got introduced into yeah. that movie. So let's talk about this Nine Inch Nails guy. What, what is Nine Inch Nails? A crappy bit. <laughs> no. no, well, it, it, I really love <laughs> no, their song I Hurt. Like. But yeah, that wasn't their the song. lyrics that I love. Yeah. But... Oh, you don't like the way they sung it? I thought it was kind of cool. We were talking about this earlier, and it's funny. The reason that I like his music in Finch's films is the same reason I don't like Nine Inch Nails, which is there's this like cold clinical super precise digital thing happening. When I listen to Nine Inch Nails, aside from that one song that I do like, any other Nine Inch Nails I've listened to, and I've really tried with them. Like, I mm-hmm. I, I really have tried with Nine Inch Nails. I find myself feeling as close to nothing as possible. Okay. And I don't... I find that to be a very unpleasant experience when I listen to music. I just don't... It's meaningless to me. It sounds... And I know that it's not, I know it's not any of the things I'm about to say. It's not. But to me, it sounds, um, it sounds insincere. Uh, It sounds uh, like it's trying to do something for a purpose that is like cynical. I like, I'm not going to name a purpose. I'm not going to say because he wants to make money or something like that. Because there isn't one. That's not what that music is. It's you don't have the type of following that he does without that music meaning something. And uh, on top of that, when I listen to the scores that he collaborates on, Mm. uh, he's an extraordinarily talented musician. But it's quite funny. I find that with David Fincher's very precisely assembled, uh, his films are from a production perspective, quite clinically put together. It's just Mm -hmm. so precise. Uh, But he ends up with whatever that feeling he wants on screen, right? So if it's Fight Club, it's gritty and it's raw. Same with Seven. Uh, Same with um, Dragon Tattoo. Uh, These films have this, like, grossness to them. And then you sort of have this, like, fine knife-edge stuff that's happening with, you know, Gone Girl... Uh, or um, Zodiac. Oh, no, this is the music. No, Gone Girl's Fincher. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, Social Network. like the And the music that, that Trent Reznor does, particularly in Gone Girl, um, is so perfectly matched to what's happening to the second. And it fits the way that Fincher works because he is so exact. Um, to a ridiculous degree. It's why I love his stuff. He makes films that I would never even want to make yeah. in terms of, like, his precision. Like, I... <laughs> Fincher uses every tool in the toolkit, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what makes him so interesting. He uses tons of small CG. He uses... Uh, tons of compositing he uses heaps of masking work and all that kind of stuff mixed with extremely traditional 
filmmaking techniques and storytelling techniques and he's a really level-headed dude uh, in terms of his approach to film. I'm not saying that he's a calm guy or anything, I don't know. But um, when he talks about film, you can hear that he has a very specific approach to things. Um, and I think that that is what's so good about Trent Reznor when he does these films is he creates these very... His music is very slicing and very scalpel-like. I'm mm-hmm. trying to describe how he sounds to me. But he he has that precision that, to me, matches that of uh, Fincher, the filmmaker that he collaborates with. Um, yeah. Reznor. Reznor sounds like a pretty cool dude. Sounds like I've listened to a lot of his stuff without knowing. Yeah, probably. I, I mean... And the other thing I find funny as well is also like I enjoy his collaborations with other artists in like you know popular popular music, yeah, <laughs> uh, in like hip hop and rap and other things. And I find it funny like I've been like fuck it, I love this track, and I'm like, damn, featuring Trez Re- Trent Reznor. Why don't I like Nine Inch Nails? Yeah. Uh, at least I know why I don't like Nine Inch Nails. But and it took a while. Like it took a really long time to try and figure it out. But it just. Uh, I know I'm wrong. I know not. I know that I'm wrong about my feelings about it, as in, like, to me, it feels insincere and all of those mm. cynical things. Um, but I know that it's not that. I know that I'm wrong about that. He's a genuine artist and he's doing it because he loves is it. feeling it and loves it. Yeah. Um, and and uh, it's just weird that that's how it makes me feel. I can't emotionally connect. There's nothing wrong with to that. It. Um, no, I, I, I find it frustrating because I feel like it's it's sort of like, um, you know, like I don't like avocado. Like it feels like I'm missing out on something. It feels like I'm missing out on flavor. Uh, and then I very quickly get over it because that's I suppose that's if, if I'm not interested in something or I don't like it, I'm like, okay, I don't care. <laughs> Unless it's a film I hate and then I watch it a thousand times. Yeah, you've told me about that. That's what I find really, really funny. <laughs> so Trent Reznor has in common with Nick Cave the fact that they were artists of a different type before getting involved in film. And uh, there's a couple of films that I love that have um, Nick Cave's music in them. One is uh, The Proposition, which was the screenplay was also written by Nick Cave. So well. that, that marries up really well. But even better than that musically is uh, Nick Cave's collaboration with, oh, his name is just gone, but uh, <laughs> this other guy. Um but it's very Nick Cave. Uh, for uh, Andrew Dominic's The Assassination of Jesse James, by the coward Robert Ford. Yes. And um, it that's one of my favourite scores um, that I listen to regularly uh, because it is setting up this film uh, which is very slow-paced and very sort of... I'm trying to explain how this movie flows and it's... It's really like a sort of like a, a slowly moving stream, you know, just sort of it's carrying. It's a well-paced film, but um, it feels like it's going not anywhere in particular and you're just kind of being told a tale and that's kind of the, the zone that they put you in. And um, Nick Cave really provides this deep melancholy, this... Uh, more than that, it's sort of like an inherent sadness that exists in the life of this man, Jesse uh, Robert Ford, who is a really pathetic person who consumes what he loves um, and goes through so many stages of confusion and hatred and and um, and fear. And the f- the score really works in this way of getting you inside this clouded sort of dim mind of this man who is incredibly selfish, not an idiot, but in jealous and, as the title points out, cowardly. And you are f- pulled through these feelings of annoyance, dislike, and all the way through to, like, sympathy and uh, pity. And he presents this character in a way that, kind of like with the Lassa Mohicans music, although that's, like, very fast-paced, um, but that 
particular track that we were talking about. But throughout the Nick Cave stuff, which is very slow um, in, in Assassination of Jesse James, he really gives you this... The music moves through the film in a way that gives you the impression that that it doesn't regard Robert Ford with any significance in the same way that the world doesn't. Because Robert Ford is just some snivelling little shit that no one cares about. And um, he makes his name by killing the person he most admires. Um, and, and then goes on to make a show out of it uh, that he, you know did on a stage, like something like a thousand times, I can't remember, like some ridiculous number of times he reenacted the assassination for money. Right. Um, and who ends up getting killed, like he, he, he was murdered as well because he killed Jesse James, who was a piece of shit. Like he killed someone who totally deserved to die, but he did it in a way that was like not, not cool, man. And to someone that he shouldn't have done it to because of his relationship with that person. And then on top of that, like at the very end, the, they you finish the film quite beautifully where it's like, uh, you know, the something along the lines of, and the light uh, faded from Robert Ford's eyes before he could think of the right words to say. And that sums up his entire life. And the music uh, does that the whole way through. It's just sort of like, oh God, like this guy is just... So useless. <laughs> and and it's it's just pulling you through and it's in beautiful like contrast to the extraordinary scenery that you're seeing and these really hard dominating men that are around Robert Ford who who are very driven and exact and uh, you know they're doing exactly um what they want to be doing and living the way the life that they want to and Robert Ford covets someone else's life and kind of wants to be like that person and um, is humiliated and teased and pitied throughout. Anyway, I'm rambling. The point is that Nick Cave's music just so perfectly suits that mood in a way that it is... I'm having a... I'm rambling because it's really, really hard to describe what he does in that film with the music because mm-hmm. um, it's just so calm and and it flows with a bit of sort of a, th- a thickness to it or warmth to it that, um, that Robert Th- Ford, I think, lacks as a person. Like there is a, there's a warmth that's missing from him. He's quite a sort of a detached character and, um, it's it's a it's it's, a, it's an important film to watch because it's just one of those films that you look and go fuck that was good how on earth did that get made because yeah. like I don't know how it made more than fifty bucks at the cinemas you know like yeah, right. it's one of those films that just has no marketing appeal yeah and um except Brad Pitt except Brad Pitt and you know Brad Pitt watched it one hundred and eighty times <laughs> um. And just, it stands on its own and it's just so, like, Andrew Dominic, the director, just being, we're making this film, we're making it this way or not at all, is the sense that you get. I'm not saying that's what he said. Um, And everyone sort of moved in around him and supported that concept and you really get that in the music. You really get this idea that um, they're not going to... um, commercialize the film through the music you went with someone who absolutely will not do that you know nick cave uh, quite the outsider um but there's just a beautiful sincerity to the way that he writes music and the way that he's able to tap into something very dark in humanity because he's not the happiest person in the world um he's you know uh and and I think that that's a really interesting thing. And I think that if you want to see narratively inside his mind, the proposition is a really good thing to look into. That was scary. All right, let's summarize. Let's do a quick wrap up. Summarize? Summarize. I always say summarize. So, I mean, obviously we have a lot of feelings about soundtracks. You know, that was really evident. I feel like we might have jumped into your feelings towards soundtracks quite intensely. <laughs> but to be honest... Sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. It's it's actually interesting because it's... I think it's because you have a lot more to say in specific with, like, 
that relationship between what you saw and how it made you feel and how the music made you feel. I, I feel like I would need to rewatch the movies I'm talking about to be able to make that connection. Because I, I still feel, obviously, a lot with the, mu the music that I love. And I'd love to go into detail at some point about that. Um, maybe we can do, like, a part two where you don't talk and I don't. <laughs> Oh. I, I think it might be interesting to like go away and watch like something specific or watch several specific yeah. films and then discuss like thoughts or notes on them because uh, in, a, in a less boring way than what I made it sound like just then. Yeah, I think that would be a really cool idea to do that. You know, just, we should just I would love to do that with American Beauty because that's a film that we've never watched together and I hated that film for a very long time. And we, We'll um, definitely... We're going to watch a few movies that I haven't watched. Maybe we'll watch The Assassination of Jesse James and The Coward something Jones. Whatever he's name, Robert... By The Coward Robert Ford. Robert Ford. There, there will be blood. We can, no, 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 no. We, we'll do that. You do that <laughs> movie. I'll do American Beauty. Oh, I and see. We, we come oh, together. musically. No, no, we watch those movies together and then we right. can talk about them. Yes. We need to. Yeah. Whether cool. it be on a podcast form or whatever. But anyway, we should wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, thank certainly. you very much for talk, t telling me about your opinions. Of <laughs> no, it was you good. You talked. No, I talked a little bit. And, and it's only because I was interested in listening. That's why I kept listening. Because it was actually, like, it was intriguing. And I had very little to say. So uh, we should totally, like, watch something together and then go into detail. So, yeah, 